0: So we have been um, in a series of messages inspired by the um, by the words of this Advent song, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," um, and and it's not because it's a bad song, but because um, most of us, if we had our choice, if we we're going to spend December from now until we die, in uh, every December we we're going to have to go off to a desert island someplace, and you only got to take one song with you, um, you'd probably pick a Christmas song and not an Advent song. You'd take "Joy to the World" or you'd take um, you take a silent night or something like that you probably would not take okamo Come, o Come manual so we're spending december looking at at okamo Come, o Come manual as an example of this kind of uh second class of songs the ones we we like but we just don't like them as much and so we've been looking at okamo Come, o Come manual and uh it uh it has all these strange phrases in it that we don't know what to do with. Words like Emmanuel, which means, as we've seen, it means God is with us, which we would think would be all through the Bible, but actually it only appears a handful of places, this, this word Emmanuel. Last week we looked at the idea of uh, ransom captive Israel, and today we're going to look at this this phrase, desire of nations, and try and unpack what it is that is the desire of nations. Um, and the first thing we have to understand is that the desire of nations is is probably not what we think it is, um, partly because we don't understand what nations are. The nations are the, the everybody else. In, in the Jewish mindset uh, that, that people were writing out of in the, in the Old Testament, they were saying there's us, there's the people that God loves, and then there's everybody else, and those are the nations. The, the Canaanites and the Philistines and the, the Aramaeans and Edomites, everybody else who lived all around them, all those nations were everybody else. So there was us and there was the nations. So the nations is is, uh, anyone who's not a Jew. And then when Christians started reading these books, we said, well, anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the living God. So we kind of extended it to include ourselves. But then we said, okay, apart from that, the nations is is everybody else. So everybody who doesn't have a relationship with the living God. So we get the idea of the nations. But, But what is the desire of nations? Well, the problem with that is we don't use the word the way that that they used in the King James Bible. Uh, the King James Bible was written the same time as Shakespeare. And the word desire just meant something else. It meant treasure. And most modern translations today say treasure, the treasure of nations. And that's the way our translation uh, puts it today. It says the treasure of all nations shall come. So so they talk about treasure. We can understand why it would mean treasure. It's like the word, um, you know, the, the thing that I desire is my desire and once in a while we use it that way, but we don't normally use it the way we would say, the thing I treasure is my treasure. So it's the same idea, but it's, it's a word that's kind of fallen out of use. And uh, where it comes from is this passage in the prophet Haggai, chapter 2 of Haggai. And uh, that's in the, 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 all those thin little books in the back part of the Old Testament. So chances are you weren't reading it this morning. But um, what Haggai is talking about is he's talking to a, to a situation where the people of God have come from Babylon. They've been let go. Last week we talked about ransom captive Israel, and uh, what what is going on now is that they have been let go. The people of God were conquered uh, 70 to uh, 50 years ago in a, in a series of deportations. They were sent away from their home country off to Babylon, and then Babylon in turn got conquered, and the new the new bosses, the Persians, said that the Jews could go home. So they went back to they went back to uh, the promised land, but the the problem is that everything valuable had been taken away by the Babylonians. Uh, the temple had been destroyed. Everything had been taken from it. And so the question was, what are we going to do next? And Haggai is one of the leaders of the people as a prophet, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a new temple. That's chapter one of the book of Haggai. He says, we're going to build a new temple, and they got to work on it. But then chapter two starts, and here's the problem. They get to chapter two, and everyone's looking at the temple and going, man, this place is a dump. This is just not a very good temple. And there's even some people who were maybe very young at the time of the last deportation to Babylon. There's younger, or They're old now, but they were young at the time. They remember the first temple. They remember what it was like before the Babylonians came and took everything of value out of it and destroyed the first temple. It was a huge, beautiful building. And they're going, man, this place is really a dump. There's no way God is going to be pleased with this temple we're building. And that's what the prophet then answers. He answers that concern. The people are going, is God going to be pleased with this building? How can God be pleased with this building? And the prophet answers for God. He says, he says in, um, verse, uh, four, I, I do this to myself every week. I'm going to the eye doctor on Friday and getting new glasses. All right. So in verse, verse 3, he says, How does it look? Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? So God is saying, yeah, I get it. It is a dump. This, is, this, this temple is nothing compared to the previous one. And I remember the previous one. I was, I was around. I remember it, too. God is saying, this place is a dump. And then God says, So get to work. Make it a lot fancier. He says, I want you to work harder. I want you to put more gold and carved stone. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, it's okay. He says, take courage. He says, take courage, um, O Zerubbabel. Take courage, O Joshua. Take courage, all you people of the land. Keep working. Go ahead and finish building the dump. For I am with you. He says, I'm not going to, uh, to, to abandon this temple you're building to go find a fancier one somewhere else. I'm with you. According to the promise that I made uh, when you came out of Egypt, he says, "I'm with you. This, you are my people. I'm going to be with you. Go ahead and finish this. I know it's not as impressive as the one that you used to have here. I know that." And then God says something amazing. He says, "He says, my spirit abides with you. Do not fear. I'm not going to leave." And then he says, "Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations." So that the treasure of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. He says, he says, I'll take care of the decorations. You build the, you build the temple and I'll make it impressive. God says, I'm going to be responsible for making this impressive. And he gives this image. Yeah. Have you ever seen a kid who put a quarter into a piggy bank? And then like an hour later, they change their mind because they think of something that they can spend that quarter on. And what do they do? They pick they pick up the piggy bank, they flip it upside down, and they start shaking it. He says, "I'm going to shake the nations that way. I'm going to get the money back." He says, "I'm going to get the treasure back because the Babylonians took it. The Babylonians took it, and um, who knows where it is? They spent it over the last 50 years, and then they got conquered. And the Persians might have let you go, but they're not giving you the treasure back, whatever's left." He says, "But I know where it is." He says. Uh, The treasure is mine. I'm God. I know where the gold is. I know where the silver is. I'll worry about that. He says, I will decorate the building. He says, I'm going to shake the nations and the treasure will come. He says, the treasure. and, And then God makes this amazing promise. He says, the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former. So picture yourself. You are a freshly released slave. Okay, you've been back in, in, in your home country now for a year, maybe maybe a few months, somewhere between a, a year and a month. Um, and And you are convinced that we should build this building. And you look at it, and the people who saw the old one are saying, it's not much of a building. And then God says, I'm going to make it better than the old one. And you've heard stories about the old one, so you start conjuring up, what might that be like? What might that building be like? So, so... Um, because we, none of us know what what Solomon's temple was like. Uh, there's no there's no pictures. There's no uh, history except what the Bible says, and it doesn't say a lot. So what I want to do is I want to help our imaginations. I want to try and imagine what they might have conjured up when they heard God say, "I'm going to make this building more splendid than the previous one." Because they had heard stories. We haven't, but they have. So we're going to try and imagine what their building might, what image they might have conjured up. Um, this summer, as you might have heard. Um, uh, uh in fact, six, six months ago today, our, va- our summer vacation ended. We went to Europe and we saw not all of the cathedrals and churches, but we saw a great number of them. I told you at the time that I had taken 4,500 pictures. And I'm going to show you four of them today, five of them today. And, and the reason I mentioned the 45 is just so you'll feel like you got off easy. So, um, I'm going to show you five pictures. This first one is of, uh, could you go back to that, uh, one you had there? This is of the church, uh, in, um, in Worms, Germany. It's the, the altar area of a church called the Cathedral of, uh, St., St. Peter's in Worms, Germany. And it's a pretty, it's actually a pretty austere building. It's all gray masonry walls, except they do have a very fancy front end there. The, the, the altar area is all covered with gold and, curly cues and ornate stuff. So, um it's pretty impressive when you go see it. I mean, and it's tall. Those are you can't hardly see them, but there's people down in the front by the stairs. So, it's a it's a pretty impressive building, but Germany is nothing compared to Italy. When you go to Italy, you see buildings like this. This is the um the the Basilica of Mary, um Mary and the Angel Mary of the Angels and Martyrs, and it's built in what used to be the public baths of the Emperor Diocletian. Diocletian was the last Roman emperor who persecuted Christians, and so they thought it would be a clever thing to do: take his baths and build a church, and it's you know kind of a in-your-face you know you know uh, scoreboard, right? Um, so so this is the church they built there. This is the church, and um, uh, the next picture, if you this is um, this is what the baseboards look like. So um, it's pretty impressive. Um, it's a marble all the way up. So. Um, so it's, it's a very impressive church, but that's just a church. You know, they keep the good stuff in the Vatican, right? So let's go ahead and take a look at the Vatican. This is St. Peter's Basilica. It's, it's the most impressive thing you'll ever see. It's like the other one, but more so. It's just bigger. You could play, you could play football on the uh, marble floor there. So that's St. Peter's. But the one that really knocked me over was one I'd never heard of. It's the next church. This is in, this is in uh, Valletta in, in Malta, the island of Malta. And um, where where St. Peter's has marble it has gold. <laughs> so um so I think they could use just a little bit more gold there. Um so so uh if you picture this if you picture the people of uh, I did, by the way um if you're curious if you'd like to see these pictures and I know you're just desperate to see these pictures. Um uh so I've got about a dozen of them with more detail uh, on on the blog. So if you go to the, the church website it says pastor's blog there you can you can see an article with all these pictures. So um what I hope they do is they help you imagine the, the, the place that people's minds went to as they heard this. As they heard Haggai say, say uh, on behalf of God, God says through Haggai, um, I'll take care of the decorations. I'm not going to sweat you. I'm okay with the building you can build. I'm not going to sweat you and say you need to make it better this time. Instead, God says, I'll take care of the decorations and they will be better this time. I'm going to shake the nations and treasure will come out. And we'll put that in the building. And here's the problem: that never happened. Okay, they never got the golden building, because Israel, for the next five centuries, was a subject country. First, the 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 Persians continued to to run uh, Israel as a colony for years, and then they were replaced by the the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great, which in turn was replaced by the Roman Empire. And as the 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 nutshell of it all is that is that the jews the, the the israel the Israelites, the people of God, never were in a position to go demand tribute from anybody, so they never got the fancy gold building like that they never got the thing that they had conjured up in their mind, so that leads us to the question what was God thinking about and the answer to us comes from the book the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians it 's the first reading we heard Paul says. Now in Christ, you who were once far off, you nations. Paul is writing as a Jew, writing to Gentiles. He's saying, you the nations who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he's made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall. So we can no longer talk about us and you. We can no longer talk about Jew and Gentile. He says, Christ has made us one. And then he concludes this passage saying, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And when he says that, he changes the metaphor. He says, in him, in Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together into a dwelling place for God. He says, the treasure of the nations is the nation's. It's not the things in their pockets. The thing that God values in the nations is the nations themselves. So, so as we think about how do you evaluate a church, what makes for a good church? This passage tells us God's answer. See, a lot of us would evaluate a church. We'd say um, a, a church is is a church that is uh, uh, biblically based, that has the right theology, or maybe we'd say it's a church that that has its heart in the right place, that it's generous with its money and its time and its facilities. Um, maybe we'd say we, a, a church that has great programs, that's got uh, children's pageants that, that make us smile, or that has, that has um, good music, or inspiring sermons. And I know all of those describe uh, Jewel Lake Parish, especially <laughs> the part about the inspiring sermons. <laughs> but the answer that comes to us from Scripture That while those things are all important, every one of those things is important, those are good things. But the answer from Scripture says that the treasure, the treasure that makes a church splendid, what gives a church splendor is the nations. Is the church helping with the work that Jesus is doing, taking people who do not know God and incorporating them into the temple that he's building for God to live in? Or is the church pursuing its own agendas? Because if it's pursuing its own agenda, some of those may be good things, but they're not the most important thing. The desire of the nations, whether the nations know it or not, the desire of the nations is Jesus. But the desire of Jesus is the nation's. O come, desire of the nations, bind all people in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and discord cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Amen.